Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So I wanted to start off by making an admission to you guys. I doubt sometimes... And I think we all, from time to time, struggle with doubt of various kinds. But specifically, I'm talking about my doubt related to, honestly, the basis for this channel. My views on the U.S. economy, the global economy, and what that means for my views on silver and gold and why I think that they're going to prove to be such a, an effective hedge, an effective pr- protection, and uh, actually a pretty lucrative investment in the future. I doubt that sometimes. Why? Well, you know, because we, we make these predictions and, and we, we put a quite a bit of, of thought, quite a bit of, of investment, honestly, uh, time, money, and otherwise into these, these ideas. And sometimes they don't play out quite in the timeline that some people would expect. Or just in general, you know, you, you question, what if I'm wrong? In fact, reference, you know, a video I did quite some time ago titled just that, what if we're wrong about all of this? But then I have days like today, where, where I'll read things, specifically in this case, the uh, minutes from the Federal Reserve uh, July meeting, and I'm reminded that, you know, there is a lot of different scenarios in which this can all play out. This can dr- get, get very drawn out over a number of years. In fact, I would argue that beginning in, in the time of the financial crisis, you know, it's been one big drawn out uh, uh, collapse. And, and it can certainly get drawn out for many more years. It can happen in over a very short period of time. This, this can all just be sort of a crash and burn instead of a, a slow grind to a halt. There's a lot of different scenarios in which this can play out. But when I read things like what's going on at the Fed meeting or when I, when I remind myself of, of just how dependent today's economy, population, markets are on things like liquidity, and money printing, quantitative easing, low interest rates, a whole bunch of government spending, all of that, you know, I'm reminded that this is, cannot go on forever, right? The, the whole concept that there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? That was actually an old libertarian ideal. And it is today, it's just maybe you know, not a term that's used as much, but there is no such thing as a free lunch. This thing, the, these things cannot continue indefinitely. And, and I, again, I have to kind of remind myself that, that that doubt is not necessarily founded on reality, just like the optimism that so many people have is not founded in reality. The optimism in this case about um, uh, the, the, the ability of central banks and, and governments and whatnot to create a, a never-ending credit cycle. There's plenty of things to be optimistic about in the world, but those are, are not necessarily uh, high up on, on my, my own list. And so the reason I bring this up is, is, you know, I want to kind of segue into this discussion about this uh, minutes from the Fed July meeting and take some time to talk about just exactly what the Fed had to say, you know, a couple weeks ago. 
So there's a couple different things specifically that I want to discuss in these minutes, uh, including just what, what would appear to be an increasing shift towards dovishness uh, among many members of the Federal Reserve. I'm talking about a return of quantitative easing. In fact, specifically about quantitative easing, you know, you have these, they come off as very arrogant statements by these members, you know, within these minutes, where they're talking about how, you know, we did quantitative easing in the past. We found that, you know, the, the benefits, in their opinion, outweighed what was the potential, you know, problems or risks with it. I'm talking, you know, inflation or financial repression, whatever. Again, this is from the Fed's perspective. And and now they're saying that, hey, because it went so well with QE1, 2, and 3, uh, you know, we're feeling pretty confident that if, you know, we had to deploy this tool in the future, that we'd be able to do it pretty well. In fact, we'd be able to do it pretty well preemptively, you know, ahead of time, preemptive QE before we, we head into a recession or before a, a full-blown market crash. And and it's such a, 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 I don't know, ridiculous idea. In fact, you even had some members saying, hey, why did we stop when we did? Why weren't we more, you know, liberal with our use? Uh, I'm not necessarily saying in a, a political term, but just more liberal with our use of quantitative easing to whatever, prop up asset markets or whatever their, their stated or unstated goal is, create inflation, right? Why didn't we do more QE? And it's, it's insane that we still have them asking those questions. Because first of all, you know, the, the side effects of quantitative easing largely has been lower interest rates, financial repression, and yes, inflation. Now, you don't always see that inflation reflected in, in all the official numbers or all the different categories of, of inflation, but certainly you see it in, in, in things like healthcare. There's plenty of inflation over the last 10 years in healthcare. You see it to some extent in consumer goods like, like food and, and whatnot. Uh, you see it certainly in things like education, even, you know, housing, you know, very big portions of, of a good amount of Americans' uh, budget. But then you also absolutely see it in financial markets, inflation and in bond prices, uh, real estate prices. That's kind of part of that whole housing piece. Uh, you see uh, inflation in, in, in the stock market, obviously. And so, first of all, they're starting off with this assumption that they haven't created inflation. They have. Okay. But then they also aren't even realizing all of the other side effects of QE here in the United States and elsewhere, including, as I said, you know, financial oppression, lower interest rates, making saving. And, and saving for retirement in particular, extremely difficult. And, you know, in the process, they're destroying banks' profitability. I mean, look at, at uh, the European Union. You know, look at the deteriorating profits and balance sheets of, of banks like, like Deutsche Bank or UBS or Societe Generale or whatever. You know, all of those massive European banks that have just been utterly devastated by zero or negative percent interest rates as well as, you know, quantitative easing and, and the effect that that has on interest rates. It's it's arrogant and it's it's ignorant of the Federal Reserve to say, hey, we did this before. And, and they even went on to say, you know, other central banks are doing it. Why don't we deploy this more? You know what it reeks of, and, and I'm not saying it necessarily is that, but it reeks of political capitulation of all of a sudden board members in the Fed saying, hey, this is what Donald is is hinting at. I shouldn't even say hinting at. He's demanding it pretty much.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe he's got a point. You know, if if we're going to see the European Central Bank or the Bank of Japan, you know, use these aggressive tools to to weaken their currency or, or gain a competitive advantage, why shouldn't we use those as well? But I mean, really, it comes down to uh, th- this whole concept of uh, what's the old phrase, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, right? This whole idea of trying to create this short-term stimulus, but the trade-off is is long-term growth, right? You have much less long-term growth because of these policies. You know, modern monetary theory is something that's been talked about quite a bit in, in the last six months, and it's by no means new. I mean, this the, the term modern monetary theory is not new, and certainly the, the, the I mean, that dates back a couple of years, but, but the ideas behind it depending on how you look at it, stretch back hundreds or even thousands of years. But I think we have to understand that modern monetary theory is already with us. It's not just an idea that is popular among economists or academia or something. No, it's already in practice. I mean, the Fed has already monetized hundreds of billions of dollars worth of U.S. debt. It continues to support the U.S. Treasury market. You don't think so? What, they're not doing QE right now? Yeah, so what? They're not doing QE right now, but I'll remind you that Hundreds of billions, I, I don't even know if it's a $2 trillion or just shy of $2 trillion worth of, of U.S. Treasury bonds are, are currently on the Fed's balance sheet. And as those mature, guess what the Fed does with those funds? They reinvest them. They buy more bonds, right? They're, they're creating artificial support for uh, the, the Treasury bond market and for the U.S. government, right? This is modern monetary theory, albeit not nearly as extreme as some people uh, would envision and not nearly as an extreme as, as I predict it will one day uh, uh, become, but it's coming. And, and we're seeing that in these Fed minutes. And I have to remind myself, again, going back to this conversation about doubt and, and what, you know, can we really for sure know that, that we're on the right path here? Let's remind ourselves of, of the facts of the matter. Like I said, the Fed is still supporting the treasury market, still supporting the mortgage-backed securities market, the, the housing market essentially. So, so is the, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, People's Bank of China, uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia, uh, uh, the, whatever it is for Canada, I forget, it's the Reserve Bank of Canada, you know, just about every other central bank in the world is still carrying on this massive amounts of support. And still, you have the Fed, you have market participants, and Donald Trump, the President of the United States, demanding more stimulus. What's wrong with this picture? I mean, it gets old. It gets so old. But to use the analogy of the, the drug addict, I mean, that's where we're at, right? The drug addict that had this, this dose of this uh, uh, drug, of, of this shot of heroin, whatever you want to call it, back in 2008 with the first round of QE, and then another with QE2 and theory and, and the interest rates uh, being lowered along the way. And 
what what this drug addict needs is is sobriety. It needs to to quit cold turkey. But even with just a couple days away, in this case, you know, a couple interest rate hikes here in the United States, you know, we're already seeing symptoms of withdrawal. We're seeing withdrawal of liquidity from the system. We're seeing, you know, the markets are looking pretty shaky without basically the promise of, of zero or, or, or negative interest rate policy and quantitative easing in the future. In fact, that's another really interesting thing that, that Zero Hedge even noticed in this, this uh, Fed minutes. This reference to NLB or, or uh, 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 what is it? Something lower bound, you know, the, the, the first word is escaping here. Maybe it's ELB, effective lower bound. But basically what this is referring to is, is the lower bound for interest rates. And for the longest term time, uh, it was kind of widely exp- uh, understood that it wasn't an effective lower bound or whatever you call it. It was the zero lower bound. That zero was the lower bound. But now we have Japan, uh, Europe, you know, moving into these negative interest rates at the central banking level. And then we have negative interest rates at the, the uh, co- uh, corporate debt, but also uh, government debt level. And now all of a sudden the Fed starts referring to this as the, you know, the effective lower bound that zero is nah, not actually the, the lower bound. It's whatever we decided is and it's scary right we have no idea what the long-term implications of negative rates will be we're, we're just getting a, a hint now of what some of the short-term implications will be but but to think that the fed the european central bank the bank of japan and many other central banks can ultimately head to zero and then negative along with trillions upon trillions tens of trillions of quantitative easing and not have some drastic consequences, inflationary or otherwise, is is pure and un- unadulterated arrogance, hubris, whatever you want to call it. It's it's ridiculous. That's what it is. And you know, this sounds like a bit of a rant, kind of all over the place. I'm picking and choosing different things I want to talk about in this this uh, you know these Fed minutes. Because, it, you know, it offers us a little bit more insight into what the Fed is thinking. Different members of the Fed are, are, are you know, thinking right now in terms of monetary policy. But it's a, it's a very important reminder of why I do what I do and why we do what we do in terms of investing in precious metals. Because ultimately, what is going to be the re- release valve for these inflationary pressures or quantitative easing or negative interest rate policy or or just a you know a total deterioration and collapse of the US or global economy. What's gonna be the major release valve for it? Yeah, the bond market, the stock market, the society and, and societal unrest. Yeah, that's gonna that comes with the territory. But ultimately the big release valve is going to be the currencies, including the US dollar. And that's why long-term I'm so confident in precious metals, not only because I think, you know, in terms of purchasing power, they're going to go up and and that they're drastically undervalued right now, but because long-term, I mean, I failed to see a scenario in which this can end well, right? Short of some miracle of of science or God, right? I'm talking a literal miracle from God or like, invention of cold fusion or something crazy like that and then it's wide implementation i don't see a scenario where all of a sudden this can be reversed right the only scenarios i see is where this is a slow grind to a halt 
or a rapid crash and burn or somewhere in between, right? But, but ultimately, you know, what happens, whether we're talking about with the stock market, the bond market, Fed funds rate, quantitative easing, that's all tied together with the ultimate fate of the dollar. Make no mistake. It's all tied together with, with what ultimately happens with the dollar. And as I said, I believe that the Fed, because it's what they've done in the past, the Fed and, and central banks the world over are going to choose their fiat currency as the release valve for this pressure rather than choose to, to allow the economy to, to collapse or the stock market to collapse. That will happen. But I said for, for probably well over a year that, that my take on this is the Fed or the ECB or whatever you know, central bank, as well as the central governments, time and time again have and will continue to choose to attempt to sacrifice a, a currency, the dollar, the euro, the yen, in an attempt to prop up the stock market and prop up the economy. But at the end of the day, they're going to be left with a scenario in which they, they fail to prop up all three. Because if the dollar fails, then so does the economy, so does the stock market. As always, I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.